Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The governor and I, and we were all um, doing a tour of the library here and um, talking about the significance of the passage of time, right? The significance of the passage of time. So when you think about it, there is great significance to the passage of time in terms of what we need to do to lay these wires, what we need to do to create these jobs. And there is such great significance to the passage of time when we think about a day in the life of our children. And that's where she does the head bob like and then kind of steps back, huh? Am I right? How about that ass? Huh? It's it's like there's a, a a valve that's broken and words just gush out of her mouth. They don't make any sense. The key to the whole thing with her is I I think she thinks she's being brilliant. I think. I'm not sure. I don't know. So there's a new book out. Uh, Politico had some reporting on this today that there was some real pushback from the White House to the vice president, well, from the presidency to the vice presidency, when she was getting, somebody in Kamala Harris's office was getting quotes into the press about how she's not being treated well and being given tasks that can't be solved and they're like, you know, sabotaging her. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, give me the border. You know, that can't be fixed. Well, you're setting me up to fail and all these different things. And apparently, according to this new book that's coming out, the pushback from the White House was she 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 had a sloppy, flailing career as a senator. She was a sloppy, flailing candidate. Maybe it's the person, not <laughs> any of the rhetoric around her. Uh, yes, I suspect that is the case. And if the White House actually did push back, well, I guess they're all in the White House. But uh, if the presidency did push back against the vice president's office by saying, I think your your person sucks is the problem, that would be something. <laughs> I, you know, one thing that I learned from uh, various political shows, be they House of Cards or The West Wing or, or what have you, a couple of movies, uh, I, it had not occurred to me um, how much tension there is between the Oval Office and the vice president's yeah, you office. Yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't expect that to be the case. Because they're both grasping, aggressive, ambitious politicians. Yeah. The one has got the upper hand for whatever reason, and the other one has to be very careful about challenging the top dog. But they have their own needs. Well, yeah, exactly. And except in rare occasions, they were calling each other nasty, nasty names. And, uh, and uh, you know, nothing but rivals up until the moment they ended up on the same ticket because they could bring, you know, different groups together. The r- r- most recent exceptions would be probably Barack and Joe Biden, maybe, and, uh, and, and, and Bush and Cheney. But generally, it's two people that, I mean, because Gore and Clinton said horrible things about each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, so- I guarantee you, though, uh, uh, Biden thought... Obama was an overrated young hotshot who had accomplished nothing and was getting the office he deserved for all those years. And I guarantee Obama thought Biden was a, a an old do-nothing. Well, I got more on that in just a second, coincidentally enough. Uh, quick Ukraine update. There are now 10 million Ukrainians. That's a quarter of their population that have had to leave their homes in one way or another. And three and a half to four million of them are now full-on refugees from their country. 
10 million, one out of four people no longer in their home in a country. Well, and That's I hard saw to a, a report in the New York Times, I'm pretty sure it was, that described Warsaw, Poland as a city on the brink now. It's been overrun by so many refugees. Ian Bremer tweeted something interesting. I thought it was yesterday. After 9-11, the Samuel Huntington book, Clash of Civilizations, got a lot of talk because it was all about, you know, you've got these two vastly different views of life coming together and it's inevitable clash and i predicted this and the world is going to struggle with this and you know that's receded into the background to a great extent and ian bremer points out that the most deadly vicious war that we've had in you know forever uh going on right now the worst conflict in the former ussr certainly is between two nations with very close cultural linguistic religious backgrounds they're practically the same people mm-hmm one just slaughtering the other. So doesn't have to be a clash of civilizations. Um, And then back to... Uh, we human beings like to kill each other for all sorts of yep. interesting reasons. Always use the example of the Hutus and the Tutsis. They couldn't have been more similar. Right. Slaughtered right. each other. So Charles Krauthammer was a columnist, wrote for the Washington Post and a number of other uh, publications, died a couple of years ago, but he was a, a great thinker, and he had this book out a while back, and he had a chapter called Russia Rising, which I think in retrospect is pretty damned interesting. I'll just read one page of it. He quotes Barack Obama. The United States does not view Europe as a battleground between East and West, nor do we see the situation in Ukraine as a zero-sum game. That's the kind of thinking that should have ended with the Cold War, said Barack Obama. Should, said Charles Krautheimer. Lovely sentiment. As lovely as what Obama said five years ago to the United Nations. No one nation can or should try to dominate another nation. That's the kind of sentiment you expect from a Miss America contestant, asked to name her fondest wish, not from the leader of the free world explaining his foreign policy. That's some pretty damning stuff. But exactly, you know, very, very accurate. And the way a lot of the world has treated Russia for the last uh, several years. The East Europeans know they inhabit the battleground between the West and Russia and a Russia that wants to return them to its sphere of influence. Ukrainians see tens of thousands of Russian troops across their border and know they are looking down the barrel of a quite looking down the barrel of quite a zero sum game. And this was written like eight years ago, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Obama thinks otherwise. He says that Vladimir Putin's kind of neo-imperialist thinking is a relic of the past and advises Putin to transcend the Cold War. Good God, Putin hasn't transcended the Russian Revolution. Did no one give Obama a copy of Putin's speech last week on the annexation of Crimea? Putin railed not only as Russia's loss of empire in the 90s, he went back to the 1920s. And then he has a quote from Putin. But it's pointing out what was absolutely true and and just sickening. I was sickened by it at the time. We mocked it at the time when John Kerry said, this is an 18th century move in a 21st century world. Okay, you feel that way and you'd like everyone to feel that way. But Putin doesn't feel that way. And President Xi doesn't feel that way. And there are a number of people that don't feel that way. Unless you're going to stop them with a tank or a gun or a missile, they're going to live like it's the 18th century. Sorry. I know you'd well, like it to be different. I know you'd like them to transcend the Cold War. Those are very exciting words. They don't freaking mean anything. 
And I think it's worth mentioning some of the specifics of what Putin said about the 1920s, just because there's this line that, uh, you know, we forced Russia into this by discussing someday making Ukraine part of the EU or maybe even NATO, although that was very vague stuff. And that's that's why Putin had to attack. We forced his hand. No, eight years ago, he made the speech saying, after the revolution, the Bolsheviks, may God judge them, added large sections of the historical south of Russia to the Republic of Ukraine. And he was referring not just to Crimea, but other parts of Ukraine as well. So eight years ago, Putin's making speeches saying Ukraine's part of Russia and ought to be. So don't give me that we forced his hand crap. He's been planning this for years and years and and, and chewing off chunks of Ukraine bit by bit. Yeah, and then, um, well, let me read the Obama quote again because I thought it was so good. The United States does not view Europe as a battleground between East and West. Okay, well, they do. Whether we view it that way or not. Nor do we see the situation in Ukraine as a zero-sum game. Well, Putin does, and the Ukrainians are forced to. That's the kind of thinking that should have ended with the Cold War. As Krauthammer says, should. That's a nice word. What, what, what is that? That weird academic, no, this is the way it should be. Wow. And Obama had a belief that he could convince anybody of anything. That if he just was allowed to speak his his calm, intellectual good sense to them, he could turn them. Yeah. And the U.N. feels that way all the time. That, you know, flowery speeches about being on the wrong side of history. And you'll be uh, shunned by the nation of, uh, what are the community of nations. Right. You'll find yourself isolated. They don't care. How do you not get that? He doesn't care about that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there have been a number of examples of that through our radio career as history has unfolded uh, under our watch, uh, which makes it sound like we're somehow in charge of it. We're not. Um, uh, But where we, the United States, has over and over again made the naive and increasingly ridiculous assumption that other countries, other peoples, other cultures think like we do. And you can't. and, And one of the reasons for that is that anybody who ever suggests, for instance, in the Chinese culture, it is revered that you outmaneuver your your enemy, your future enemy, through deceit, that you disguise your threat to them, that you, uh, you, you cover up, you obscure your movements so that the enemy doesn't realize you're ready to attack until you're ready to attack. That's not considered dirty or underhanded. That's considered clever. It's part of their their cultural heritage. But then you say something like that. I remember we were talking to um uh that that guy from the Washington Post who we like so much, Josh Rogan. Rogan. Yeah, um, not to be confused with Joe. Uh, and I mentioned that to Josh, and and he was momentarily really uncomfortable. He was like, "Well, I don't." want to talk about Chinese deceit or anything like that or Chinese culture. We don't need to go there. But it's like, no, 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 no. It's not racist to recognize cultural differences. And in some places, their culture says it's cool, it's fine, it's smart to do things that in Western culture we find unpalatable or immoral or something like that you're you're refusing it's funny and it's usually forces on the left who want to come off as enlightened your form of enlightenment is everybody thinks exactly like us which is really a bizarre and incredibly unenlightened way to look at the world that's a very good point 
I was I had the lunch the other day with a gent who has negotiated with people from a number of countries. He uh, a very cultured guy, lived around the world. He he ran a pharmaceutical company in Europe for a number of years, and he talked about negotiating with different countries and different cultures and how different it was and how he had to be educated by people with more experience and he frequently had his jaw drop open uh, because he 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 hadn't understood what he was dealing with and so i just putin and russia sees the world very very differently than us and barack obama and people like him and joe biden or or hell donald trump can't convince him otherwise the one thing trump got right was Anybody screws with us, I'll kick your ass. So when you had lunch the other day, did you tip? Well, isn't that (laughs) fantastic? Tipping is clearly a legacy of slavery, according to one of the most enlightened race thinkers in America. I did not know that. They're also dropping masks on planes in Europe. Not in the United States, but in Europe, where they also don't make kids wear masks at school. Because they're not crazy, superstitious (laughs) lunatics. Among other things we've got coming up. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Yeah, we're keeping uh, masks on our airplanes, what, for another month at least, and then they're going to decide whether or not to drop it, whereas uh, in the UK they're dropping it. Just like they drop masks in schools over in Europe, but not in the United States. I don't know why. Well, hell, that was months and months ago. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why we decided to be more stringent on that. So, because I, of Trump derangement syndrome. Uh, Ida Bay Wells. I don't remember which of the claims everything is slavery. People she is. She didn't write sixteen nineteen project. That's the Anna Jones woman. But anyway, she's involved in that whole theory of the world. She tweeted out yesterday, tipping is a legacy of slavery. Tipping as in uh, giving money after your meal or giving... Not leaning too far to one side and falling down. Exactly. Not that kind of tipping. Um, Tipping is a legacy of slavery. And if it's not optional, then it shouldn't be a tip, but simply included in the bill. Have you ever stopped to think why we tip? Like why tipping is a practice in the United States and almost nowhere else? It's just culturally some reason we did it. I don't know. but uh, And, and I that's mean, not true. I've traveled enough to know that's not true. That's true. That's true. I've not experienced uh, I've not experienced a lack of tipping other places. But even if it were true, it doesn't prove it's a leg- legacy of slavery. <laughs> I don't, I, I, what, what, it, the, people see everything through that lens. It's so weird. That is Nicole Hannah-Jones. Ida Bay Wells is a, uh, a civil rights activist of the 18th century or something like that, and she's just appropriating her name for a Twitter account. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. I thought they were two different people. That shows you what I know. Mm. Well, I don't pay. I honestly don't pay much attention to that stuff because it all seems so silly. It's incredibly destructive and could tear America apart if it if it catches hold. But uh, I don't pay much attention to the the BS about being on time is white supremacy or whatever. Well, I I would not pay attention to it at all if they were not teaching our children that oh. every day in a lot of public schools and mm-hmm. virtually every university. Troubling. It is. It is indeed. Uh, funny. Came across one of the, my favorite things ever, I think. A friend just sent it to me. We'll play it for you next half hour. It is both so right and so good and so funny. Stay with us for that. 
Uh, did you hear the Babylon Bee got kicked off of Twitter for one of their uh, bits of humor? Earlier in the show, Jack made it uh, clear he is in favor of censorship and and silencing conservative voices, or am I misquoting you? Uh, 100%. <laughs> um, I, think they, uh, I think they shouldn't have tweeted this, but no, I don't think anybody ought to kicked off Twitter. I want these uh, forums to be completely open for practically everybody, but there, there's the key word, practically. I don't want people recruiting child molesters. Okay, so you boot them off, and then you slippery slope down the road where you end. Yeah, I don't know. Not every slope is slippery, but I see your point. Uh, so our topic here is Rachel Levine, the Transgender Assistant Secretary for Health, Education, Welfare, or whatever it is, um, who is biologically a male. Um, and the Babylon Bee just uh, had one of their, their headlines, one of their stories. The Babylon Bee's Man of the Year is Rachel Levine. And they got kicked off of Twitter for that. And their statement said, for the simple offense of labeling a biological man a man through a satirical headline, we have lost access to all 1.3 million of our followers on Twitter. Yeah, I'm not. If, if a dude says he's a woman and wants to be called her, I'll do it. I'm, yeah. Maybe some of you wouldn't, but I will. Mm. The, the argument against that is when you start to go along with that sort of twisting of reality. You are uh, you're useful to them. That's what they're counting on. Hmm. That the makes only sense way to also. resist it is to resist it. I just don't like to hurt people's feelings, but that makes sense. Well, and I like to do this for a living too. And these days, you have to be somewhat cautious in our line of work. Uh, exactly what you say about what topic. Uh, I think we do a pretty good job of being just cautious enough. Mm, so far, so you got something right. really funny coming up. Uh yeah, and beautiful. Oh, you're gonna love it. Funny and love beautiful. It, There's something wrong with you, not me. You. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The Biden administration put out basically an alert saying it's a call to action for both public and private companies, public sector and private companies, to increase your defenses because they're seeing what they describe as preparatory activity for Russians. Not necessarily that an attack is imminent, but signs are suggesting one might be. So Biden warned Americans and American companies yesterday that Russia might uh, launch a giant cyber attack. And then there's reporting out of the Pentagon that... The reason Russia has not attacked Ukraine is they're holding back their best cyber tools because you can really only use them once. Hold on. No, <laughs> oh, that's great. Now, now everybody's got it. Thanks. You gave me the Omicron variant. Hold on. Yeah, I did. I sneezed earlier. If you just tuned in. There's been a fair, um, fair, thank you, Dr. Cardi. There's been a fair amount of sneezing around here. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, if something goes haywire, all of a sudden it's the Russians have hacked us. So that could happen anytime. Again, I ask, what are these preparatory activities they talk about? What, their hackers woke up and had a bowl of cereal or whatever? I don't know. And the s- second thing is, uh, the, uh, one, of the most misword, uh, mis- hmm? one of the most misused words in the English language, actually a pair of words, was misused in that, uh, that little uh, clip there. Okay. Eminent and imminent. The guy said eminent? He said imminent. He meant imminent. Well, that's so close together. How could you tell? It goes by so fast. It's I like have the, very good ears. I've got the ears of a Peruvian fruit bat. Like, what was the thing you were mocking me for? You can't tell the difference between when I say it fast. Oh, can I can't. Can't, can't, can't. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, I can't go. Imminent, I can't go. Imminent, I can't go. I can't go. You don't know which one they said. <laughs> I don't know whether you can go or not. I think you uh, can go and it's imminent. 
Um, Jack is one of the most imminent talk show hosts I've ever worked with. I will move on from this quickly. Probably shouldn't, but probably will. We talked about it yesterday. Op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. Hunter Biden's laptop and America's crisis of accountability. I'll just read the one little sub-headline here. The New York Times now admits the story was real. News and social media companies will pay no price for suppressing vital information in 2020. That is absolutely 100% correct. Mm-hmm. Mark Zuckerberg and uh, what's this guy, the, the guy who doesn't eat, Jack Dorsey from Twitter, two human beings were able to kill a major story at the end of the most contested presidential election maybe in 200 years. And, uh, and, 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 and the media went along with it, and nobody's going to pay a price for that. Nobody's going to pay a price for that story that was completely real. It was easy to figure out that it was real. They claimed it was Russian disinformation. In fact, uh, uh, Barr, former Attorney General Barr, told Fox News yesterday, he said President Biden lied on the debate stage when he said that was Russian disinformation because he knew right. it wasn't. Correct. So the president got to, the soon-to-be president got to lie about it. The New York Times got to just ignore it, act like it wasn't real, just not, not even comment on it. Uh, Twitter wouldn't allow anybody to forward around the story, and Facebook wouldn't allow anybody. They just killed a real significant news story. Now, where it turns out, I don't know. Does it turn out that Biden's the big guy and all this tied together, all that sort of stuff? We don't know. But it was certainly worth looking at and discussing. He is, by the way. He absolutely is and the big only, guy, and he's getting a cut. I'm 100% bingo. certain. And when you only needed to change, what is it, 80,000 votes nationwide to change the election? Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, that's a big deal. But like it says in the Wall Street Journal, nobody will pay a price for that, which is a little disturbing. You know, I think the difference in culture, and I'm reminded of a conversation I had with my uh, my late uh, sainted mother, um, uh, Gladys. Gladys! Conversation Yo, I had with my mother Gladys! as a child. Gladys! She, uh, her hearing, she's a World War One vet. Her hearing is shot from all the bombs. <laughs> I apologize. Well, I had to wake her up. I'm told she uses medicinal marijuana for something. Oh, yeah, your elbow hurts, does it? Yeah, so she's stoned most of the time. Anyway, uh, I was there at my mother's knee, and I'd heard the phrase, the ends justify the means. And I asked my mom what that meant, and she explained why that's a description of a, a faulty ethic an immoral uh, you know, view of the world. And I thought that was very interesting and it stuck in my head. Now, of course, the real movers and shakers of the world, they couldn't give a damn about <clears throat> morality or, or kindness or Christianity or whatever, and they do believe the ends justify the means. Uh, but I, I, what was so interesting during the Trump era was that you had all sorts of institutions that bellowed constantly that they were uh, moral, they were fair-minded, their very essence, their... Raisin Dietra, the reason they existed was to be a fair arbiter and, and conveyor of the truth, uh, held board meetings and said, to hell with that. Let's just take Trump down, no matter what it takes. Their belief was Donald Trump is such a danger to our democracy that anything goes. Mm-hmm. And they stand yeah. by it. Well summarized. Yeah. So, no, there will be no accountability except for maybe, maybe grudging admissions. that yeah, it Turns out the uh, laptop was uh, legit and all those emails. Yeah. They're legit, too. And Hunter, you're a loser. Let's talk about something else. We can talk about this. Yeah, yeah well, more importantly, the New, York, the New York Times, if you're not following this, they, they declared in paragraph, I think it was 24, 
that they have we have confirmed that the, the laptop did belong to Hunter. So the emails were real. Now what they meant, I don't know. I'm willing to you know let you argue about that and decide what's real. But you're gonna tell me that's not a giant political story? That's a giant story, right? And it got right. killed and existed only on Fox News. We got this email from uh, Randy said, I hear conservatives talk about the Hunter Biden laptop, embarrassing stuff about Hunter. However, I ne- never hear about crimes committed by Hunter Joe. For that matter, uh, the laptop providing proof. Would love to hear you two break that down today or someday. Well, we just have a second or two, Randy, and then we'll, we got to move on to other things. But I'll tell you the long and short of it was Joe Biden was using his access as the vice president of the United States and his portfolio, which included Ukraine, to get his son business contacts that his son exploited to make extraordinary amounts of money for a drug-addicted, booted-out-of-the-Navy, bright-but-erratic attorney. Okay, Because there are plenty of bright-but-erratic attorneys on Earth, and it's interesting that Hunter Biden was able to reel in enormous amounts of money. right? And... It's also been alleged by some very reliable sources in my mind, I believe them, that Joe Biden got a cut of the family business. Well, that would have been quite a national discussion to have, but we didn't have it. No, we did not. Uh, Speaking of business and that sort of thing, a bizarre ruling from the Securities and Exchange Commission that's going to be slapped down by the courts as quick as they could get to it. Uh, But first, a word from our friends at Simply Safe Home Security, recently declared the best home security by U.S. News, PC Magazine, and Popular Science. That lady whose creepy uh, mother-in-law was uh, uh, creeping into her bedroom at night, she needed Simply Safe. You promised us something funny. We're going to creep into your bedroom at night if you don't bring us the funny thing. Oh, that's going to be great. Next segment, I promise, Next right segment? after the commercials. Yes. All right. Why are you yelling at me? Because I was all excited about the funny. Well, I don't I don't know that it's ready yet. Oh, okay. Uh, Simply Safe is the best home security system. And it's less than a dollar a day, which is really amazing. You can set it up in around 30 minutes. It's very easy to use. Never a long-term contract, which is huge. So with your five-year contract, you get, oh, no long-term contracts. They earn your business every single day. Best 24-7 professional monitoring in the business, indoor and outdoor security cameras. Customize it for your home, what you need at simplysafecom slash Armstrong. Go today, claim a free indoor security camera plus 20% off with interactive monitoring. Go to simplysafecom slash Armstrong. Again, simplysafecom slash Armstrong. My kids got some new hairy pigs. Some what now? Some new hairy pigs. I was unfamiliar with these pigs. I'll have to tweet out a picture of them. They have hair like a dog. Really? They get about the size of a big dog. Kune, kune, kune pigs? Okay. It's a special, specific breed. Clearly. Probably talk I... about that more at another time when we do our miniature pig segment that we do every Thursday at 7 o'clock, brought to you by Tiny Troughs. <laughs> Tiny Troughs for all your miniature pig needs. You know, funny coincidence, during my brief career in pornography, my screen name was Harry Pigs. Um, but uh, anyway, where were we? Your brief career. <laughs> my agent, he worked so hard. <laughs> just just very little work. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, if this was just a podcast, I could go into some detail, and yeah. it would be funny, but I can't. Probably to everybody's uh, benefit. So this is insane. The Securities Exchange Securities and Exchange Commission this week voted three to one uh, Democrats only advanced to advance a proposed rule requiring all public companies to disclose climate risks. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's it, it is, uh, according to the uh, Wall Street Journal, contrary to SEC history, securities law, and sound regulatory practices, it's insane, it's goofy, it can't possibly stand, and looks like virtue signaling. Oh, of course it is. Larry Summers, I didn't get to this last week, the former economic advisor to Obama. He's a Democrat. He was the president of Harvard. Um. He's a Democrat economist, but he said, look, these are we're, we're, we're in a tough spot here. This was about inflation and everything like that. We've got to get away from some of these social justice goals that have worked our way into our economic policy. They're all good ideas, and I agree with them, he said, but they, hmm. they, they just they can't be in our economic policy. So this is 510 pages of regulations requiring anybody who issues stock, public companies, to disclose risks to physical assets from climate change, as well as from government anti-carbon policies, which is going to require a just an incomprehensible amount of speculation. No, and Honestly. you'll have to hire a gazillion lawyers and, and create oh, yeah. pages and pages and pages of stuff, and there'll be new positions created and all that sort of stuff, which is going to add costs, which is going to make everything more expensive. Speaking of inflation, because now you got another bureaucratic hoop to jump through. And just one quick example, uh, ExxonMobil, for instance, would have to report its direct emissions, as well as any from fossil fuels burned to generate the electricity it uses. It may have to quantify emissions from the combustions of its products, the tankers that deliver them, and the manufacturing of its rigs and plastic products when they degrade someday in a century. So uh, just just absolute insanity. And again, I think the uh, the court is going to the courts are going to slap it down. I certainly hope so. So you're going to do this again, the bait and switch, where you say you got something funny coming up, and then you hit us with the SEC regulations? Is that what you're going to do? Man, why don't you try the decaf over there, Captain Cranky? The, I'm, huh? I'm excited about this Stop funny thing. Stop yelling at people. Can you believe the way we're treated, Michael? It's terrible. If it's you, sickening. When you come across something that Call you say, when you come across something that you say is really funny, <laughs> I get very excited because I haven't heard it at all. I love this. It's a parody of something you've probably seen. A good guy that's taken a turn for the bad gets kicked right in the junk. <laughs> awesome. And that's next. For the productive segment, wasn't it? Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. New study about medical marijuana worth talking about. Hmm, this is what a lot of right-wing medica radio hosts suspected years ago. Oh, no. About the hippie lettuce. So stay oh, tuned. Oh, no, not the hippie lettuce. So, you remember, have you ever seen any of these, uh, uh, just flitted out, Harry's Razors uh, commercials? Where they're kind of walking and talking and funny things happen and the dialogue is cool and hip and then they tell you to, to shave with Harry's razors and, 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 and the cream and the rest of it. And they're Send just supposed to you through the mail. They're supposed to be better. Oh, it's a mail order razor thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That sort of thing, I guess. So anyway, um, uh, it's explained in the first chunk of this video, which is incredibly amusing. It's uh, the guy from the Daily Wire, the head guy, who's talking about how uh, Harry's dropped them and how they've got their new Razor brand going themselves. Uh, you can watch the whole video at armstrongandgetty.com. 
That's armstrongandgetty.com. Um, but it starts with this guy who's going to be talking to us, screeching into the parking lot in some supercharged race car thing. Uh, and, and here we go. People diving out of the way. Do you remember when there were two genders and only one and a half of them had to shave their mustaches? Oh, hi. I'm Jeremy Boring, CEO and God King of The Daily Wire. Harry's razors used to advertise on our shows. They're a great product, and we were happy to do it. That's before some peon who works for me went and said that boys are boys and girls are girls. And that was just too much for Harry's. They condemned our views. Views held by millions of Americans and virtually every human who's walked the planet until about 15 minutes ago as inexcusable. And they dropped their ads from our network because of what they called values misalignment. You're damn right our values are misaligned. And it's not just Harry's either. Gillette razors used to be the best a man could get. Then they decided that men are too toxic. Unless you're the kind of man who teaches his daughter to shave her beard. If that makes sense to you, keep buying Gillette. (laughs) <laughs> wow. The graphics are hilarious, too. I mean, the scenes that unfold. <laughs> oh, and it goes on for another couple of minutes, but it's for real. They've launched their own razor saying, quit buying from people who hate you. Think that, you're an idiot. That's a good angle. Why would you want to give, you know, if if uh, if there are other products that are similar, because there's lots of stuff. Sure. Coke and Pepsi are the same. Gillette and whatever the other one is the same, whatever. Um yeah, if one of them hates my point of view, well, I'm not a boycotter, really, but I'd rather give my money to this person than that person. Oh, yeah, those companies that have decided to really stick their neck out and make that strong statement about how, mm-hmm. yeah, they're haters. Yeah. You don't get my money. So the whole medical marijuana thing ended up being exactly what a lot of people who were against it thought it would be. It was a camel's nose under the tent to get marijuana legalized ultimately which is a fine and everybody's fine with that so it doesn't really make any difference but that it did work to get people down that road mm-hmm. and um you know always with the argument that my grandma has cancer and she can't eat because of the chemotherapy decision okay fine that's fine but all the other elbow pain and stuff like that was you know kind of funny sure we, sure. All, we, we all, saw it coming it came we all got a kick out of that Anyway, there's a new study out from uh, researchers from Massachusetts General Hospital. Medical marijuana fails to improve symptoms of pain, anxiety, and depression for most people. While increasing the risk greatly, the patients will develop an an addiction to cannabis, according to this new study from uh, Massachusetts General Hospital. Hmm. Now, uh, addiction to marijuana is a complicated thing. Nobody seems to have been able to nail that down, whether it's actually addictive or not. I don't know. I certainly have had friends who felt like they were addicted to marijuana. They were certainly yeah, having an awful damn hard time not doing it. In fact, I know one of them whose life continued to be sucky because he couldn't stop doing it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It is 100% habit-forming. Is that addiction? I don't, I don't know, know, but it, it's uh, beyond question. If you live your life stoned, confronting life not stoned is very difficult for a while. Or for some people, like you, you point out, they can't give it up at all. It sounds like addiction to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you got that angle of it. And then you've got the, what do you mean it failed to improve the symptoms? Practically everybody who got a medical marijuana card were lying. They didn't have elbow pain or neck soreness or whatever the hell they claimed. 
You know, like our buddy who had his card that said Charlie Sheen on it for uh, knee pain or something like that. <laughs> how are you gonna How are you gonna nail down whether that improved his symptoms? <laughs> Hilarious! So he can smoke marijuana while he surfed. <laughs> My symptom is I'm not high. I would like to alleviate that symptom by being high. <laughs> My symptom is this concert sounds better if I'm not straight. Yeah. So yeah. So I don't know. I don't know exactly how they. Um, uh, teased that out in the research to figure out whether or not it helped the symptoms when a lot of the people were, you know, making it up anyway. So. But anyway, their overall claim from Massachusetts General is it didn't improve the symptoms for most people and uh, way too many people got addicted to a marijuana through medical marijuana. Whatever. But most of the people were faking it because they want, because they were already marijuana smokers. They wanted to find a way to buy it legal so they didn't get arrested. Right. That's what they were doing. Right, and fair enough. And and remember, and uh, we don't really have time to get fully into the screed, but we've developed this legalistic uh, society where it's much more about rules and regulations and authorities and the rest of it, and much less about morality, whether that comes from religion or what your mom and dad brought you up to, to believe or whatever. And so we've got this feeling that if it is legal, it is good. And if it is not good, it must be illegal. When I think of a lot of us who, who take a more balanced view of the world, the reason we don't get stoned all the time has nothing to do with legality it's because it's a bad idea it's not a good way to manage your life with some exceptions and you live your life i'll live mine but we spend way too much time worrying about legality and illegality as opposed to wise and unwise Mm. as a society you got to put that on one of your posters with an elk in a field or a soaring eagle or something yeah probably the eagle we've already used the elk for the other t-shirt available at armstrongandgetty.com and where you'll also get the podcast if you miss an hour of the show and you want to pick it up. We got more on the way. Armstrong and Getty.